You are listening to the podcast of Calvary Church in Irwin, Pennsylvania. For more information, you can visit us online at calvaryirwin.com. Good morning, everybody. It's great to, uh, to have you all here. I'm Nick. I'm the lead pastor here. And uh, real quick, uh, I just wanted to mention something. We, our Calvary Cares Project throughout this month, we've been introducing them, and I love that. But I'm always impartial to the ones based here in Norwin, and what Carmen is doing is just remarkable. You guys don't understand the legend that was just on this platform, and uh, I so appreciate all that you do, Carmen. You uh, are known throughout this community and county for the sacrifice and the lengths you will go to fight for a person, one person even, and uh, that is just remarkable. Thank you for what you're doing, and we're just excited to partner with you this year. And uh, when, you, when you came in, uh, you should have gotten a, a card. I know you got a bunch of things today. Sorry for all the packets. But um, uh, last week was our annual vision meeting. And something I shared, I wanted to just share with everyone together today, um, this card. This, is, this card is, just says 500, 200, 150K. And really, the, the purpose of that is just to kind of keep some goals in front of you. These are goals that as, as leaders, our staff, that we are striving for. And, and you might be like, well, what do goals have to do with church? Um, we believe, and this is just a principle of life, that if you don't shoot for anything, you'll hit it every time, right? But it's important to have a target, a goal. And uh, these are our goals this year. 500 is that we would average 500 on our weekend services consistently for a month. You might be like, why are we just trying to be a bigger church? No, every number has a name, every name has a story, and we believe that we are here to reach people for Jesus. So that's the 500. The 200 is that we would reach 200 in all of our groups at least two weeks this year. So 200 people in a group at least two weeks this year. And the last one, most exciting, one of the more exciting, 150K, that this year through our Calvary Cares campaign, through our projects that we just talked about, our missionary support, we give 10% of every dollar given, our mission trips, our benevolence, all of that, that this year we would give away over $150,000 through our Calvary Cares campaign. Those are our goals. And uh, these aren't goals that we just like throw out there and say, maybe we'll, we'll keep doing what we're doing and we'll see if we can, you know, hit those things. We want to work toward these goals because I believe that uh, hitting goals like this don't impact us. It impacts the kingdom, impacts lives that we've never met before. So on the back of it is kind of the part you can pray, play. And, and, and I want to encourage you to be, be in prayer about this. The first thing is two people that you could pray about inviting to church. Two people. Uh, over this next month, we're going to have opportunities. Our new series, Questioning Jesus, is a great series to invite someone to as we look at the questions of Jesus. But two people, maybe at work, at school, your neighbors, family members, two people that you can pray about. I've always heard this, and I believe it's true. Before you talk to your friends about God, talk to God about them. Make it a matter of prayer. Say, God, uh, open the door. Give me an opportunity to invite two people to church. The other one is involved. Uh, pray about joining a group if you're not part of a group, or joining a team if you're not part of a team. And uh, there are a whole, whole lot of different options. You saw in the video one of those options, but there's a lot of different opportunities. And the last one, we're going to talk about this more later, but uh, what you and your family can commit to give toward our Calvary Cares campaign. And uh, we'll hit that more, a little bit more later. But I want to encourage you to make that a matter of prayer, because I believe God has something special. We talked about this in January. This is a year of breakthrough for us as a church. This is a year of breakthrough for your life, and breakthrough will not happen if nothing changes, right? So let's do something different this year. See what God can do. Uh, 
How many of you enjoy the Steelers? I know this is a dumb question. Of course, we all love the Steelers. Even Pastor Lance, wherever you are, you love the Steelers. Just declaring it into your life. Forget the Cowboys. Um, You too, Pastor Dave. Where's Pastor Dave Martin? I don't know. He likes the Ravens. Boo, hiss. Boo, hiss. Yes. Thank you. Perfect. Thank you. Um, We have a... uh, um, a, a, a contract that everyone has to sign when they're a pastor here. They have to denounce all allegiance to any other sports teams um, but the Steelers. Pirates, we let that one slide because they're not really a professional's team, but Steelers is a different story. You know, the Steelers, uh, f- for their first real four decades of existence, saw a lot of things, but they never saw a winning season. Did you know this? During World War II, uh, the Steelers actually had to combine one year with the Philadelphia Eagles, the Steagles. Uh, another year, the, Car- the, the Chicago Cardinals at that time, just to field a team, just during World War II. Um, the, the, they had plenty of stars, even, on their team in those early years. Stars like Bobby Lane, Jack Butler, Ernie Stotner, all legendary football players in their own right. In fact, the Steelers were known even in that time for their physical uh, approach to defense. The problem was they were always just an older team full of veterans who were well past their prime. That was what the Steelers became known for. This is because for years the Steelers' way was to trade off all their draft picks so that they could get older veterans who were past their prime because this was a, a, a theory, a concept, one of their coaches often uh, uh, taught and led with. Coaches like Walt Kissling didn't believe in wasting his time coaching young players, get the ones who have proven themselves. So that's what they would do. And consequently, year after year, the Steelers would fire a coach, hire a new one, and give away all their draft picks and bring in veterans who are past their prime. In fact, the Steelers even cut some really well-known players. I don't know if you guys ever heard of Johnny Unitas. Uh, The Steelers cut Johnny Unitas. Can you imagine that? Because he was too young. This was the Steelers' way. And for the first 36 seasons, the the Steelers had 13 different head coaches, zero winning seasons. 13 head coaches in 36 seasons. The Steelers for the last uh, 51 years have had three coaches now. Big difference, isn't it? Uh, And it all came to a head following a 1968 season. In 1968, the Steelers finished 2-11. and 11. The Steelers were the Cleveland Browns of the NFL during that time. It was horrible. Um, if you're a Browns fan, I apologize. We will have prayer for you at, later. But um, <laughs> the Steelers were just pitiful. And Art Rooney, the owner, had had enough. And he fired his coach once again. And he decided he's going to bring in a new coach. His top choice was Penn State's coach, Joe Paterno. And he went to Joe Paterno and offered him the job. And Joe Paterno didn't want to leave college. He wanted to focus on college. So, and he started to look elsewhere. And his son, Dan Rooney, uh, was helping him. And, and they finally landed on a coach. It was the Baltimore Colts defensive coordinator, Charles Knoll. Charles Knoll was announced as the head coach on January 27, 1969, as we know him as Chuck Knoll. And Chuck Knoll became the 14th head coach in the 37-year history of the Steelers. Uh, His plan for building a winner in Pittsburgh was really ultimately what got him the head coaching job. His focus wasn't on preserving the disaster in front of him or dealing with the baggage past coaches had left behind him, but ultimately, he was working for the future. 
He was about rebuilding the team for the future, moving it forward to something better. The, the biggest shift for the Steelers was for the first time, they were working with a clear, proven system to win. Noel's first, very first draft pick in 1969 was defensive tackle Mean Joe Green from North Texas State. People were scratching their heads saying, who is this Joe guy? We don't even know who he is. Um, we would come to find out who Mean Joe Green was, of course. Uh, uh, that same draft, Noel would also draft linebacker Elsie Greenwood. Uh, if you don't know who any of these people are, they're legends, just Google it later. In his first season, the no led Steelers finished with a miserable record of 1-13, worse than the year before. Normally, this would have gotten a head coach fired in the NFL, but Noel had, had taught patience, and he got Art Rooney to see his view and his, his vision for the team, and he stuck with it. With the first pick in 1970, Chuck Noll selected his franchise quarterback out of Louisiana Tech, a guy named Terry Bradshaw. Noll got his second Hall of Famer that draft when he snagged cornerback Mel Blunt. In his first two drafts, Noll ended up with three future Hall of Famer players as the team improved from 1-13 to 5-9 the following year. In 1971, the Steelers' record further improved to 6-8. and eight. In that year's draft, Noel selected eight players who would go on to be starters for his Super Bowl teams, including another Hall of Famer, linebacker Jack Ham. The 1972 season would end up being one for the record books as, as Chuck Noel's patience finally started to pay off, and the Steelers would win their first division with uh, a record of 11-3. and three. Uh, That year... They were led by a, another Hall of Fame rookie, who, a running back named Franco Harris. And they would actually win their first playoff game because of Franco Harris's immaculate reception beating the Raiders. That was a beautiful time. Uh, beautiful game. Amazing game. Uh, while the Steelers made a second straight playoff appearance in 1973, drafted two more players that would contribute to their championship teams, uh, 1974 would be the draft that would go down in NFL history as the greatest draft in history, uh, greatest draft in NFL existence. Four out of Noel's first five selections would become future Hall of Famers. Lynn Swan, Jack Lambert, John Stallworth, Mike Webster. I mean, if you had a draft, that is a remarkable draft. It's no coincidence either that 1974 was the season the Steelers won their first of four Super Bowls under Noel. They would actually win four Super Bowls in six years. Unthinkable at the time, still to this day, unthinkable. And it wasn't because the Steelers simply spent a lot of money on players, or even that they just had some outstanding players. After all, this is the NFL, every team has decent players. But the Steelers were winning because they had been willing to work together with a winning system despite the difficulties early on. And today, really, we're not here to talk about the Steelers, although after this past season, it is kind of nice to reflect back on our winning, winning years, right? Um, but that's not what we're talking about. We, what we're here to talk about is something that I think we can learn and see from this whole story about the Steelers that really affects our own reality. See, we give our best in life, use the resources we have available, but oftentimes it can feel like we're falling short, even when everything is going great. And this is why you might see interviews of celebrities or millionaires, and, and they've accomplished everything. Uh, they've been incredibly successful in their own rights, but still feel like something is missing or like they have yet to achieve something 
that, that's seemingly not there, even though they've gained it all. And it's like, what are, they, what are they missing? They've got everything. They've got money to buy anything they could ever want. The reason this happens is because we often work with a flawed system or flawed concept. We think, if I can get everything I want, I will be happy. If I could get everything I could ever wish for, I'll be happy. And we work toward that. Or, or, or if I put all my time and effort into me, then things will get better in my life. So we scrap. We fight. We do whatever we can to keep our head above water. And in some cases, we're working for the benefactor of one, and it's me. Our theory is if no one else will be for me, at least I will be. So we adopt this, this inner monologue that says things like this. It's my life. I can do what I want. Someone's got to look out for me. And yet, in all the effort we put in to work our own plan, we still seem to often fall short of what we hoped our lives would one day become. It's not because life is necessarily miserable or even that we're failing at things necessarily. In fact, you might be incredibly talented, gifted. You might be one of the best individuals in your career. But it still feels like something's missing. It's not that something's missing with you, but maybe, maybe you're investing in the wrong system. Maybe you're putting your effort and time into the wrong system. You see, so much of our energy often goes towards building our own thing when maybe we were actually created to put our efforts towards something bigger than ourselves. Maybe we were wired as human beings to be connected to something bigger. This is, this is what changed the game for the Steelers. Chuck Knoll brought a very different perspective. It wasn't about one player, wasn't about one moment, it was ultimately about the, how those players and moments all connected together, what they were part of, the system or the plan that he had in mind. And it's not one moment that drastically will change your life. It, it, it's ultimately the plan or the system that you're part of, that you're living your life for, you're living your life according to. In arguably Jesus' most famous message, a message that became known as the Sermon on the Mount, it's contained in three chapters in the book of Matthew, chapter 5, 6, and 7. Jesus talks a lot about this shift in the makeup, the goal, the system of our lives that needs to happen. He talks about seeking something bigger than ourselves, investing what we do into more than just ourselves, but into something he refers to as the kingdom, the kingdom. And, and for these chapters in Matthew, Jesus talks over and over again about this kingdom, and, and his use of the term isn't to depict some physical country or empire, like when you step across this line, like you're in the kingdom, and when you step back, you're outside of the kingdom. He wasn't talking about a physical barrier, but rather he was talking about a way of life that could transform and define those who were followers of Jesus. It's living based on a different framework than most people live. Because of that, you get to see different results than what most people experience. And in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, he, he gets to the core of what he's talking about. So Matthew 5, 6, and 7, really the Sermon on the Mount, right near the end of chapter 6, uh, Jesus gets to really what's the heart of what he's trying to say this entire time in the Sermon on the Mount. Here's what it says in Matthew chapter 6, in verse 28. He says, And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. 
If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run around after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. And and what Jesus is saying here, he's kind of challenging this concept, this concept that drives how we live. And, And the concept is that I will only have what I need if I make me a priority. And and if I work for my own end and my own good, that's the only time I'm going to get what I need. And Jesus is trying to say, listen, there's someone else who's fighting for you. There's someone else who's trying to provide for you. His name is God. He's your heavenly father. He's your creator. He actually knows what you need more than you know. It's not just about you keeping you in focus. God is keeping you in focus. And he's trying to shift that mindset that it's not just about you. It's not just about what you can get for yourself. Someone else is trying to help you, take care of you. And and if God can take care of plants and flowers and and his creation, he can take care of you because you're part of his creation too. And then Jesus gets to the real core, the heart, the, the ultimate point he's trying to make in verse 33. Here's what he says. He says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. This was a remarkable statement for Jesus to make, that, 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 that ultimately, if we can seek his kingdom, he'll provide all that we need. And, and here's a simple idea that I want to share with you guys today, just briefly. That what we seek will determine what we see. The things that you seek in life will determine the things that you see in life. The things that your life produces. The things that your life uh, uh, brings about as a reality. It's all impacted by the things you seek. If you seek yourself as the end-all, be-all, that's what you're going to see. Nothing more than what you can do. What your efforts can bring about. But when you can seek God's kingdom, you step into a different realm. A different world. This doesn't mean that our lives are pointless or not worth our efforts to make them better. But rather that we were created to be part of something bigger. This is why our sense of fulfillment and satisfaction goes up when we invest our time and efforts into things that are bigger than us. We were never created to be independent of others. We were created to be interdependent, interconnected. That interdependence shines the brightest when we are working toward God's purposes since he ultimately is the one that created us and made us. Our greatest effectiveness in life will happen when we align our efforts with his purposes. Seeking first his kingdom is taking responsibility for our efforts and releasing the outcomes to God. It's saying, I will trust God with my time, my treasure, my talents, because investing in what he is doing will accomplish far more in my life than my world than just investing in me. As a side note, His kingdom is not necessarily synonymous with his church. The church is part of his kingdom, but it is not the only part. Volunteering to to coach your kid's soccer team, or or helping, giving to help a coworker battling an illness, isn't outside of God's kingdom, but can be just as important as doing things in the church. This approach to living is living life in a way that recognizes You possess the kingdom. You have been chosen as part of the kingdom when you committed your life to follow Jesus. You carry the kingdom with you. 
It's a powerful idea. You know, I love what, what Glenn said earlier. When, when you are in the kingdom of God, things that seem impossible in an instant can be made possible because you're part of the kingdom. They function very differently than in the human world, in the natural world. We're talking about the supernatural here. In fact, as I was just preparing and praying this morning, I wanted to pause here real quick. I wasn't, uh, this wasn't part of my notes or planning this week or anything like that, but I really felt God impress in my heart. There might be someone here that you've been praying for a miracle in your life, and we're here. This is the kingdom. Look around. We're part of it. The kingdom is here. It's now. It's not in the future. It's not in the past. Kingdom is now. We're, we're here. We're living the kingdom right now. And in the kingdom, things happen differently. Things happen quickly. Things happen that others have said are impossible. And I just want to take a moment real quick. I want to pray that God could do a miracle in your life. Would you bow your heads with me just real quick? God, I pray right now. I thank you for your kingdom, the principles that your kingdom is built upon. Lord, the principles of your promises that, Lord, you would never leave us or forsake us, that, Lord, we can find healing in your name, Jesus. I pray for those in this place right now, those watching online, that they've been waiting for a miracle in their life, Lord. Lord, bring about that miracle as we are in the kingdom now, Lord. Lord, we aren't wishing for it or waiting for it, but the kingdom is here. You have brought heaven to earth, and I thank you for that. God in faith, we thank you for the miracles that can happen in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And just like, you know, Chuck Knoll had this incredible foresight and vision of what the Steelers could become with the right pieces in place, God has this remarkable vision of what the world could look like if all of the right pieces were ultimately in place. It's not a vision of brokenness, of pain and division, but one of beauty, wholeness, and magnificence. This is God's vision for our world. And and it, it is this vision that drives the plan God has in place that we have the privilege of being part of when we seek first his kingdom. We get to be part of redeeming a broken world. You and I have been drafted to be part of the greatest team with the greatest mission the world has ever known. It is a team that has been working together to change the world for thousands of years. And now we have the opportunity day after day to invest our lives into this kingdom that is redeeming the darkness and pain of our world. We get to be part of this. And as a church, this is our passion. We don't exist just to have a bigger, better church. No, we exist to advance the kingdom of God to live our lives based on this framework that transforms everything it touches. We aren't simply part of some church or religion. We ultimately are part of a movement, a movement that continues to shape our globe to this day. As the worship team comes today, this is why we're here. This is why, ultimately, we're for him. We're we're for his purposes, his outcomes, his kingdom, because what we seek determines what we see. I don't know what life looks like on a normal basis for you, but my hope isn't that life is simply the product of our hands, of our ability. You might be amazingly talented, have an incredible mind for your job, your career, what you put your life into. That's awesome. But when we're talking about humanity, there are limits. We all have limits. We, we have certain limits that are built into life. You know, physically, emotionally, spiritually, we have limits. 
But when we're talking about the kingdom, the limits start to disappear. Because it's not about what I can do, it's about what he can do. What you seek will determine what you see. You want to see the miraculous? You want to see the impossible happen? You want to see things that people said can't be done? Seek first his kingdom. Step into his kingdom. When we step into his kingdom, the impossible becomes possible. And there's so many ways we can seek first his kingdom. From, from how we spend our time to the approach we take at work with our abilities to, to even how we spend our money. And, and, and a few questions I want to ask you as we prepare to close today. Number one, how are you spending your time in a way to seek first his kingdom? <laughs> Look at your calendar. How are you spending your time to seek first his kingdom? Number two, how are you using your talents and your skills to ultimately be part of something bigger than yourself? I'm not trying to step on toes here. I'm just asking questions. You figure out the answers. How how are you using your talents, your skills, the things you are gifted with? How are you using those to be part of something bigger than yourself? And the last one, how does your bank account reflect what's most important in your life? How does that reflect what's most important in your life? I understand we have our financial obligations. But how does that reflect what's most important in your life? Today, practically speaking, we have the opportunity to seek first his kingdom through our Calvary Cares campaign. There's a lot of different ways that you can seek first his kingdom. This is one practical one. Through this campaign each year, we partner with different organizations through projects that we commit to. And uh, of course, we've introduced those throughout this month. What I love about the Calvary Cares campaign, this is so important to us, is that every dollar given to these projects goes directly to those projects. We're not saying, hey, we'll take a little percentage for administrative duties or whatever. 100%. This is saying we get behind others to see them flourish. That we are blessed, not for our own benefit, but that we could be a blessing to others. This is Pastor Nick Pohl, the lead pastor at Calvary. We're so glad you joined us for today's podcast. I hope you enjoyed the message. At Calvary Church, we're passionate about leading people into an overflowing life with Jesus. We would love the opportunity to connect with you on your faith journey and hear what God is doing in your life or join you in prayer for any needs you might have. You can visit us online at calvaryirwin.com or send us an email at info at calvaryirwin.com. On our website, you'll find previous week's messages, a list of upcoming events, as well as resources designed to help you take those next steps on your journey of faith. See you next week, and may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace.